We're back. You might be thinking, if you're on YouTube, that is, that we're wearing the same clothes as yesterday. Uh, but really, we're just working overtime here at Lockdown Syracuse. The grind never stops. Back-to-back recordings. That's how Brad and I do things. Uh, and now we're joined by a special guest today, John Garcia, uh, the recruiting expert of everything that is college athletics. We will get to that right after this. It's Lockdown Syracuse. It's right now. Our Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Matt Bonaparte and Brad Klein with you here on Locked on Syracuse. Thank you for making Locked on Syracuse your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And now we are joined by John Garcia, the Director of Recruiting Coverage at Sports Illustrated. John, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Uh, good to be on with you guys talking a little a little orange on an interesting day in the ACC for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and we just learned pre-podcast that John also, like Brad and I, is a Syracuse graduate. So with that knowledge now, a question that just hopped into my head. You said you did your grad year in 2010. What has been your impression of Syracuse's recruiting over the decade plus since 2010 to now in terms of football? Where are they? What is What has been the reason that they've struggled so much? And does Dino Babers coming in almost last every season in the ACC matter? Of course it does, right? And I think when when kids – look, first of all, Syracuse can't recruit locally as well as almost everybody else in the ACC. So I do think that there is some room to understand some of the struggle. And obviously the on-field stuff uh, has a lot to do with it as well. But I do think uh, that – relative inconsistency certainly hurts in recruiting because when kids get that offer, it moves the needle because look, it's a free education, but compared to, again, almost everyone in the conference that can kind of point to something, especially at certain positions, it it hurts you. Uh, And you become just kind of like, Oh, this is great because it's an ACC offer, but then what else? Like, and, and that's really what hurts in terms of acquiring visits and, and maintaining that interest when you do reach out uh, and extend an offer to a new target because uh, then the research is done uh, or the perception just kind of caps the research. You know, a lot of these kids, if they're getting hot and they're picking up a lot of group of five FBS or even low-end power five offers, it, it becomes a bit of a wash. So what separates Syracuse in that besides, hey, we're in the ACC and we play inside. So, hey, Floridian – at least you don't have to deal with the cold as much. I mean, beyond that, there, there's not a whole lot of ground to stand on there. Uh, it usually takes a miracle run on the field or a, a recruiting class or even individuals that start to change and reverse some of that perception. And for the modern recruit who you know hasn't seen anything close to the greatest years of, of SU on the field, it just doesn't resonate uh, how it how it even did you know ten years ago, much less over the last few years where you know the college football world has been dominated by 
the SEC and, and schools in the Southern footprint in particular, whether you talk about winning or the NFL draft, which is really still the most important couple of factors for, for most of these recruits. So I do think it's going to take something galvanizing to, to reverse that trend uh, and or a rise of talent locally, although it is something we're kind of seeing a little bit in this, this class of 23. So I think that's at least some footing for SU to stand on. And we're going to talk about the class of 2023, the present, the future coming up. But, John, you, you mentioned earlier, just a second ago, about it's going to take something galvanizing. It's going to take a miracle run. I feel like that already happened. I feel like that was 2018 when they went to the Camping World Bowl, when they won 10 games, and nothing happened as far as recruiting waves after that. Why? Because, well, first of all, right after that point, there was there was still a lot of question as the direction of, of the program, right? I mean, was was that just, hey, this group of upperclassmen apexed all at once? Or, or was there kind of a young gun on that roster? And, and my memory doesn't immediately jolt there. Uh, so I do think that it was kind of viewed as more of a flash in the pan, uh, especially when you follow it up with, I believe, uh, a year where we, we didn't see SU go to a bowl game. Uh, so I do think sustained success is still uh, a very important part of, of the recruiting conversation. I do think that that run increased quarterback recruiting potential. And, uh, you know, at the same time, the secondary has been kind of this position group where we've seen SU have some good success. And I want to say Andre Cisco committed after that that run. Um, so I do think that there is some correlation to, to that apex, but it certainly wasn't widespread. And I think that's that's something that sustained success will do. Um, or coaching change, which, you know, you, you don't want to bring it up. I'm sure you guys unfortunately have to pretty much all the time. Um, but I do think that kind of that, that change in philosophy and the coaching staff can sometimes be a rallying point for recruits. If you dip into new territories and you expand a little bit, that can can sometimes be its own lightning in the bottle. But yeah, the success has to be sustained. It can't it can't just be a one year run. Although again, we did see some spikes at certain positions after that. And Baber's bread and butter uh, through his tenure in terms of recruiting hasn't been the huge star recruits, all the five stars. He's got a couple of four stars here and there, but when Syracuse hired him, I think a lot of people thought recruiting was going to make a huge turn for the better, but instead uh, what Babers actually deserves credit for is a lot of the three stars he's brought to the Hill. Guys like Michael Jones, Stefan Thompson, Sean Tucker, Marlo Wax, all have become real stars for the team, but are all three stars. Is it okay? Or should Syracuse fans be salivating for more? Yeah, I, I think, look, any any rabid fan base is going to want more. I, I think, I mean, Alabama fans want more. Uh, so sure. that's that's something that is is always going to play uh, with, with any school. Uh, but look, I do think there's something to be said for development. And, and there are programs, Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Northwestern, that have been able to go on certainly more sustainable runs than SU with similar talent levels. Uh, so I do think that, you know, Utah is another one that that is something that is school by school. And I think, you know, you you have to trust your own evaluations uh, more than ours. I mean, we see these kids as much as we can and we rank them and it's fun. But, you know, our jobs aren't on the line uh, every time we extend, you know, or we don't extend offers. But every time we put a, a number or a star 
next to a kid. Um, so you, you've got to trust your own evaluations and find the right fits. I mean, those schools I mentioned, they never get five stars, right? Like Utah dominated the Pac-12 last year with transfers and guys that they developed uh, from the Pacific Northwest uh, and then spot recruited elsewhere. Uh, so you've got to be able to develop within your own identity. And I think that's part of the issue with Syracuse. When your offensive identity is supposed to be something that we haven't seen, it's very hard to develop prospects into that mold. Uh, so I do think offensively in particular, where, let's be honest, most of the attention lies from a recruiting or an on-field standpoint, I do think that is a detractor uh, for Syracuse over the last, gosh, since 2018, right? I guess where we saw uh, some real sustained success in what this Babers offense is supposed to look like with tempo, with the speed, and, and with that that kind of balance or extension of the run game in the short passing game. And, John, we're up against it here, uh, against a break, but I do want to ask you before we get there about Dino Babers because you mentioned you kind of touched up on it. Job security might always have to be uh, a dark cloud over the, the football. Oh, did we lose him? Yeah, he's frozen for me. <laughs> this <is a> classic <laughs> line here. All right, we're going to take a quick break. He's probably going to jut in right back in the middle of it, but uh, I want to take a quick break to talk about Rock Auto, Rock Auto, with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning uh, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. It's a family business and it serves do-it-yourselfers and prices are reliably low for every customer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Brad Klein, are you back with us? I'm back. Sorry about that, guys. The internet, the internet, not my friend today. But I wanted to ask you, John, about Dino Babers and how you perceive his job security. Because when the Babers era started, it was supposed to be orange is the new fast. That really hasn't happened that much. And also, it was supposed to be player-friendly coach bringing in players and the recruiting takes a big jolt. But that hasn't happened either. Yeah, so something's got to give here. I think that's uh, paramount for, for everyone's mind going into this uh, 22 season. I, I don't know if there's a win total. I'm sure it's come up up there. Um, I don't know if there's a win total that either you know, prevents him from being let go or, or whatnot, but uh, something's got to give. I mean, it's been uh, – there's been some moments, but there's there's been no sustainability. And I do think that the resources, and especially being in the ACC – and let's be honest, the top of the conference has fluctuated over the last few years on top of that. All of those elements should have created more of a run uh, for Syracuse. And I do think that the, the patience is, is wearing thin, uh, and that's the nature of the game. In fact, I think Babers has had more time than, than most co uh, coaches in the Power Five to, to figure this thing out. So I do think that that's why you've seen a, a different – aggressive approach, I think, from Babers, whether it's the transfer portal at the quarterback position and trying to create competition as, as, at as many positions as possible uh, going into this 22 season. I mean, he, he's aware. He's aware at this point. So you wonder how many, uh, you know, gadgets he'll go to to try to prevent 
uh, a change uh, at the top, but uh, it's hard. It's hard to project what number it would have to be. Is it as simple as going to a bowl? I've, I've heard that come up. It feels like every year for the last three or four. Um, it, it might be that simple. It might not. But um, again, with the fluctuation at the top of the ACC and new programs emerging, right? Pitt, Boston College, NC State has all this buzz this year. That should be the range where Syracuse is is flirting with. Uh, on the football field, and it's just not something we've seen. So I do think that the other schools that haven't hit that apex, we've seen them make the changes, right? So it's just a, a matter of when does Syracuse, you know, uh, just kind of cut their losses and move forward. So obviously a ton of pressure uh, at this point for SU. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of it now uh, in terms of the class of 23 for Syracuse. Currently, SU has six guys that are committed to play in orange for the 23 season. Lenora Sellers, the quarterback, the three-star quarterback out of South Florence uh, in Florence, South Carolina, is the highest-rated recruit, three-star, like I said. Uh, he's currently 621 nationally. Does anybody stick out to you in this class? Well, I love Sellers. I think he was a kid who, because of an injury last year, really didn't get that true recruiting boom that maybe um, he deserved. Uh, not only was he committed uh, pretty early on to UVA, but the injury cost him you know, the junior season, uh, the bulk of it, which is really for quarterbacks, that's the year, right? That's the year where you have to plant your flag as, hey, I'm a guy. I'm a guy in this class. Um, and I think Syracuse almost, you know, luckily uh, picked up a couple of UVA assistants and that relationship carried over and, and helped them uh, land a class headliner. But I think when you talk about his physical build uh, and his physical athletic profile, he's got, you know, a, a lot of, of what you want in the modern quarterback. So I expect him to, uh, I think he's getting close to being fully healed. I expect him to really go crazy as a senior. And I think he's got some four-star blue chip potential if he realizes uh, some of that promise, because he is truly a balanced dual threat prospect, meaning he could really work you from the pocket and, and he could do some damage with his legs as well. So he's certainly the class headliner. I would be surprised if he wasn't the highest rated guy on top of that when this class is all said and done uh, come February uh, of next year. But I do see the regional prospects sticking out. You know, I talked about how you can't really recruit too hyper locally at Syracuse. You know, it's state of New York guys even going into Jersey and and Sellers is the only one not from that footprint in this class. And you only signed two from New York last year. So I do think that is promising for SU. A lot of them are on the defensive side of the ball as well, where, again, we typically don't see that. Usually you're going down to Florida for your secondary prospects or your pass rushers. Well, this is a little bit different for Syracuse. So I do like this change. Um, it, it coincides with a bit of a rise of talent in the tri-state area. So I do like that Syracuse is taking advantage of it and not – losing prospects to Rutgers or, or Jim Mora and UConn or some of the other, the other kind of old school Big East programs uh, that, that used to be a thorn in, in Syracuse's recruiting side. So I, I do like the more regional approach uh, to this class. But of course, now we need to see what we have come accustomed to seeing. And we need to see them go into Florida, into the South and, and expand in that ACC footprint. And I think that will probably be the plan for the staff the rest of the way. I do want to talk about what's to come for this class, but I, I also want to stick with Sellers for a second because he enters a quarterback room that is 
I don't want to call it stacked, but pretty deep when you have Justin Lamson, who's eventually going to come back from his injury and sounds like he was playing pretty well in camp and Garrett Schrader's still there. And Carlos Del Rio Wilson made the immense splash coming from Florida and the transfer portal. Do you expect Sellers to eventually be the quarterback for Syracuse, the QB1? I, I do. Uh, I think this this 2022 year will be – Hotly contested, right? A, a bunch of three transfers really battling uh, for that spot. You know, with Del Rio Wilson, you just don't know if it's, you know, too late of a transfer to really make an impact. But the physical tools suggest that he could contend uh, down the line. You know, I, I especially think if midseason there's some contention that he could begin to take over. So naturally, and kind of how we view quarterbacks in college football, if, if you've got three transfer quarterbacks, one of them wins the job, one of them is the backup in theory, it means one or two are probably leaving, right? I mean, that's just the nature of the position. So naturally, there's going to be a, a need for a group beyond these transfers. You mentioned Lampson. He'll certainly be at the forefront of that once he gets healthy. And I think Sellers will be kind of that other guy, uh, especially if he does what, what we think he might do as a senior, I think there could be the potential for him to see the field as an underclassman. So you need to stack talent at the position. You need bodies. You need depth all together, especially when you're depending on three transfers um, in, in what is a critical make-or-break type season for your head coach. I do think that there's a lot of potential attrition ahead, um, basically across the board at SU, and even with uh, a deep uh, quarterback room uh, that it appears to be, we, we know it will be very different uh, come 2023. And we were just talking about the parameters of whether or not Dino Babers has a job in Syracuse going forward. A tweet by Stephen Bailey that came out eight minutes ago says that Syracuse Athletic Director John Wildhack said Coach Dino Babers is, quote, not on the hot seat and confirmed that the Orange could miss a bowl game and have Babers at the helm in 2023. So I guess there's our answer to that. Um, but going off that, I guess you could say Babers is gearing up for the future regardless now because he knows that there's not too much pressure, I guess, on the season upcoming. Who on SU's offer sheet for 2023 do you think Syracuse really has a chance at getting? Is there anybody you really have your eye on for SU? Uh, to be honest, there's not one prospect in particular. I know going into that last official visit weekend, we had a lot of eyes on Jalil Smith and a couple of these others that actually have committed at this point. Uh, but I do think what I talked about earlier makes the most sense. Expanding into that traditional ACC footprint, uh, digging back into Florida, into Georgia on both sides of the ball. You know, this class, it's not going to be the biggest class. I think, you know, last year taught us that with the fluidity of the transfer portal, you take maybe less than 20, right? Last year, I think it was 17. You're going to take a smaller number. So let's say the class is almost half full at this point with six verbal commitments. Uh, but you do need to see some positions addressed that we just haven't seen at this point. The offensive line does not have a verbal commitment at this point. The secondary may not have a verbal commitment at this point. You know, those are spots that we certainly want to see Syracuse push towards during the season. And I think a more patient approach uh, could coincide with some senior risers. That's a group of recruit that Syracuse has always relied upon late in the recruiting cycle. I mean, Eric Dungy wasn't even on radar at this time, you know, during his recruitment. So I think that group, uh, particularly in the Southern states, has an opportunity to really emerge. And as all these other schools fill up, uh, and we see like 25 commitments in the Power Five 
just yesterday, as these schools start to fill up, they're going to start to cap uh, a lot of these recruitments in terms of their numbers and volume. So schools like Syracuse could stand to benefit with a little bit of patience uh, with these high school seniors to be uh, as they, they look forward to the 2022 season. So as always, it'll be double duty at SU. You're coaching, you're recruiting at the same time, evaluating in between. Um, but, but that's why they get paid a pretty good salary for Let's take a time out here and talk about BetOnline because BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline is where the game starts. We're here with John Garcia, who is an analyst for Sports Illustrated on Sports Illustrated, excuse me, on the football recruiting sphere. And we're talking to John about Syracuse and what they have in 2023. The newest commit is linebacker Zion Moultrie Goddard. What is your takeaway when you watch film on him? And what are your impressions as he steps onto the hill? This is an old school player. And I think we, you know, we, we have fun talking about the modern game and how much it's changed, but you still got to be able to stop the run. And I think Goddard has a lot of that within his game, six foot, 235 or so. Uh, and he screams downhill on tape. I mean, he's a guy who, again, it won't be flashy, uh, but but he's going to play tackle to tackle, take on blockers, uh, and be able to to win uh, at the contact point. And I do think there's still that classic desire to stop the run. So the question for him is going to be, come third down, when you do shift back to that modern mindset, you know, w- what is his role going to be? Can he play underneath where he's showing a little bit of capacity to flip his hips and run? Um, or is he going to be a guy who has to develop into a blitzer or a pass rusher? I think that's where, as a senior, if you're a Syracuse fan, that's where you're looking to see a little bit more from his tape. But but again, uh, on the floor level and perspective, I do think this is a, a potential tone-setting uh, downhill linebacker uh, who's going to rack up uh, a lot of volume in the tackle department. And and look, you're still you're still needing that in this day and age, especially in a conference that, scales up the entire east coast you know where weather factors in and other things factor in you still need you know, some beef and some physicality in, in your front seven and i think he provides it i like that i, I like being you. referred to be as beef if i'm zion Moultrie, God, <laughs> that's good <laughs> um and what can you tell us about jaleel smith the edge six five 230 pounds out of brooklyn new york not really ranked on 24 7 anywhere but what can you tell us about this kid? Extremely raw, uh, but you see the potential uh, in, in his game. You know, 6'5 or so, 225, 230, uh, where, where he's listed. Uh, and, man, there are some plays where you're like, look look at his bend and look at his first step. And then there's other plays where you're like, oh, my God, he's standing straight up. You know, he's just so raw in his development at this point. So uh, another one where you're, you're happy as an SU fan that he's got another year of high school ball left where he can refine – his game a, a little bit, but but the height and weight is exactly where you want it to be for the modern edge prospect. Uh, and the athleticism and range is there as well. Um, and that's one of those positions where we've seen 
everywhere in college football where you don't have to be the most polished to make a, a true impact. You know, we talk about pass rushing specialists and edge setters. A lot of those guys are quote unquote one trick ponies, but that one trick is pretty necessary to, to win games on Saturdays, especially in the pass first nature of the game. So I think with Goddard, it's more of your old school tone setting backer. And then here, uh, your modern edge defender, at least in his athletic profile. So I like this get, and and this is one of those where we talked about earlier, trust your evaluation and develop. I mean, that's where you have to make your mark if you're not, you know, one of these college football blue bloods that, you know, seems to be hoisting trophies every year. Oh, we're talking to John Garcia here, analyst for Sports Illustrated about uh, on the Syracuse football, rather the college football recruiting scene. And we're talking about Syracuse football here. I got one more from me, John, and it's about the tight end. And it's David Clement coming from Christian Brothers Academy. So a homegrown guy in central New York. But yeah. I think the biggest criticism of the SU offense over the past few years has been the absence of the tight end featuring in their offense. Obviously, it's different because you have some new blood in the coaching room now, but what does David Clement's commitment to Syracuse mean for the future of the offense? Well, if, if you're going to risk, I guess, negative perception or you want to trust someone in reversing it, go local, right? You can't miss with these guys. I do think that, you know, Syracuse, I, I guess, even dating back to when I was a student and eventually worked in the market, there was always this kind of wonderment of, are they ever going to recruit hyper local guys? You know, we, we've seen flashes, um, you know, with, with some of them, but it's really not been a consistency with what SU football does. Um, but w- w- when you look at uh, Clement, for, the first thing I ask is, is he going to stay at tight end? I mean, is he really 6'7", 265? If, if that is his true, you know, listed uh, height and weight, uh, very curious to see where his body develops because that's the type of size that, your Wisconsin, your Iowa's, your Notre Dame's of the world are taking as offensive tackles. So curious to see if he can be a balanced tight end who does aid as an extension of that offensive line, or if he just has to push all the way towards, uh, you know, being a big ugly before his college career is done. But either way, like you said, there has to be, um, you know, more prowess at the tight end position, even the threat of somebody working the seams, especially with his height and reach, that should be a plus uh, for an offense that wants to go fast. I mean, it's, it's something that we always talk about, whether it's the quarterback run or the RPO game, you need a presence in the middle because otherwise uh, programs and schools can dictate coverage uh, specifically to the smaller, shiftier outside guys. And that just creates uh, more likelihood of them, you know, being able to dial up pressure at the right spots. If you don't have that prowess, on the inside. And I think that's why that position, the tight end and these big athletic long tight ends have become the new it thing uh, in college football and the NFL simultaneously. John Garcia, the director of recruiting coverage at sports illustrated. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. We appreciate you. Always good to be talking about the orange fellas. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, Thank you for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen today. Get more on the ACC by making Locked On ACC your second listen every day. Host Candace Cooper and the local experts of Locked On take you across the ACC in 30 minutes. Make Locked On ACC 
your second listen. That is Locked On ACC. Brad and I will give you more on Syracuse or the ACC's new football schedule. Or I guess we just did that. That was uh, yesterday's pod at this point. I'm all jumbled up because we're doing two pods in one day. Uh, All right. We'll have more content. You know we will. We'll be back tomorrow with even more right here on Locked On Syracuse. We will see you tomorrow.